into this series concluding what we've been talking about uh, regarding heaven. Uh, one of the things, or maybe the, the main thing that we've talked about that we will do is recognize who God is. And so uh, what a great way as we transition to, to finish this time off together. And we've talked about heaven as a place. We've talked about heaven as this overall hope that we look toward that should influence our life. Uh, we talked about it at the very beginning as something really that even people who are not Christians kind of uh, have a hope of, or, or, or even if they don't verbalize it in that way, have a sense that maybe there's something more, something else. Uh, and we want to end today maybe talking about the thing that is probably most mentioned and most thought about is, is, is the idea of heaven is, is being offered to people from God. Is it, it is this, it's offered to us. Uh, I read a story this past week about, about a group of friends that were they're retired. And, and it reminded me of some of the, the groups that we have around Gatesville that meet at like, well, they used to meet at McDonald's, the, the coffee group, but I think they've migrated to Burger King. Uh, something to do with, with uh, the way they do the computer ordering now. They were not happy with that, so they moved to Burger King. There's a group that I think meets at Tractor Supply. Uh, I know there's a group when we go to the, the minister's breakfast, there's a group at Ranchers. And, and just, just these uh, retired folks that sit and, and drink coffee together and probably think that they could solve the world's problems, you know, if they're all together. And so I read about this group of, of guys, and, and that's kind of what they do. They would meet every morning, or yeah, every Saturday morning uh, in Salt Lake City at a deli. And uh, they, would, they would have coffee, and they would just talk about everything under the sun. And, and, and there were seven of them, and they, they got to talking, and they said, you know, maybe, maybe we should offer all of our wisdom to, to the public. And, and it was sort of a joke at first. Uh, and so they went out, and they set up a table outside the Salt Lake City uh, kind of a farmer's market trades day show. And they set up a table, and it said, uh, free advice. Probably bad advice, but it's free. And, and at first, people walked by, and they kind of had that same reaction. They would laugh at them, and... Uh, they, they were not really sure what to make of it, but, but after a while, a few people would stop by and, and listen to them and talk to them. And uh, before they know it, they, 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 they started gaining this following. And people would go to the farmer's market and ask, where's the table with the old guys giving advice? And, and it, it got to be where it wasn't just a joke. Like people would go and they would say, you know, uh, I've had this job, you know, younger folks. I just got this job and I've been working for this amount of time. When, at what point can I ask to take a vacation? You know, wanting to know their, their sincere wisdom on the subject. There were people that would go and, and say, hey, I've been married for this many years. And, you know, it's, you know, it's not like it used to be. And, and what did y'all do in those moments? And they would sincerely ask their advice. And. They were interviewed on, on TV, and uh, one of the guys said, someone told us the other day that we're the most a pop popular attraction at the farmer's market. And he said, I don't really think we give wonderful advice, but the offer's always there. And, and so people began receiving this offer. So we think about heaven as an offer. You know, I think about that, and probably the, the reason they were hesitant and surprised is because they didn't expect anyone to really take their offer seriously. They probably didn't take their offer very seriously at the moment. But if you're like me, I think we realize something happens maybe about the time when we hit early adulthood, young adulthood, before kids, 
when, when life starts changing, when life really gets challenging, when we look back and say, maybe our parents, maybe our grandparents aren't as dumb as we thought they were when we were 18. Maybe they have something valuable to say. And unfortunately, that often happens or it often doesn't happen until we face a challenge. We face a, something with our home that needs to be fixed. And we think, oh, I never learned how to, to fix that. You know, maybe I need to ask my, my dad or my grandpa or a mentor. Uh, where I am having problems in, in my marriage. I need to consult someone about that. And, and, and as we encounter these things, we, we recognize that there is indeed a need. There is a need, and so we take them up on that offer. Now, if parents and grandparents had it their way, they would, they would not want children, they would not want grandchildren to undergo difficulties, would they? They would, they would want to, to offer that advice, they would want to offer that help and make it available before they had to go through those difficulties. But they have to be aware of the need before they can receive the offer. Remember the, the 1980s Karate Kid movie? Uh, one, of, one of my all-time favorites, I've tried to expose my kids to it, and it just doesn't have enough action and high-tech stuff in it. But I remember when, when the star, Ralph Macchio, Daniel, uh, is encountering bullying, and, and he recognizes that he has the need to do something about it. And he first goes about it by going to the bad, the bad guy's karate school, you know, and it doesn't take him long to realize that's not a place I want to be. And so he tries to learn karate through reading a book. <laughs> And it doesn't take him long from getting beat up by the bad guys in their karate school to recognize, hey, I can't learn karate out of a book. It's not the same, it's not the same thing. And so he encounters the old guy, Mr. Miyagi, who will soon become his sage sensei. And at first he tells him he's not going to teach him karate. Uh, he doesn't want to get involved. But after seeing the bullies and seeing that, hey, this guy really does need to, to be taught, needs to be able to protect himself, he agrees to teach him karate for self-defense purposes only. And, and as he prepares to give him this, his very first lesson, you remember the first lesson? He has all these cars, and he's going to have him wash the cars, wax on, wax off. Uh, he asks him, are you ready to begin? And Daniel responds by saying, oh, I, I guess so. And he says, I love what he says. He said, Danielson must talk. We walk road. Hmm? Walk right side, safe. Walk left side, safe. Walk middle, sooner or later you get a squish, just like a grape. He says, here karate, same thing. You karate do yes, you karate do no. You karate do yes so, just like grape. And I've always thought that was Mr. Miyagi's paraphrase of what Jesus says to the church of Laodicea. You remember what he said? I'd rather you be hot or cold, not go down the middle. And neither one of those, neither Jesus nor Mr. Miyagi are, are speaking explicitly uh, about heaven. But I think it's okay to take what they say and, and apply it to the offer of heaven that we see in Scripture. Uh, one of the, the offers that, that we are, or this offer of heaven that we're given by God, often it's, it's misconstrued, misconstrued by Christians, I believe. And, and so we will think about it even, even in as, as church of a town as Gatesville. When we, we think about the offer of heaven, we think about heaven. If you go and ask people, do you think you're going to go to heaven? I think most people will say yes. Because they don't want to think. I mean, who wants to think, oh, I might not make it there? Nobody wants to think about that. So they'll say yes. And if you ask them why, they'll say things like, 
well, I try to be a good person, or I try to go to church, or my grandpa's a deacon, I love my mama, you know, they'll give reasons like that. And of course, we know that's not the thing that, that gets us there. That's not the offer that, that's made. It's, it's, it is available to all, but it's an offer that first, before anything else, it does require a response, and, and it's anchored in Jesus. That, that is the thing that, that starts, that initiates that offer. In the same way that I have been throughout this series, I'm in several texts, and they're in your bulletin, and they'll come up on the screen if you want to turn to those texts and, and have your hand there or look on the screen. Either is fine. Uh, but often the offer of heaven is presented, even especially in Baptist life, when we think about heaven, it's often presented as the place that you start. Isn't it? We, we say, well, you want to go to heaven? Well, you need to accept Jesus, right? Well, and, and, and you may not know anything about Jesus, but you just know you want to go to heaven. And, you know, that's not a bad way of getting someone there, but I don't really think it's the biblical way when you look at the Bible. The, the Bible doesn't use heaven as the carrot that dangles and says, you want to go, go to heaven? Well, you've got to accept Jesus. That's, that's not the way that it works. If you think about it, you could get someone to believe in a cactus if you told them it was going to get them to heaven. They just want to go to heaven. Well, the cactus will get me there. Well, I'll do it. I mean, I'm, I'm being facetious, but, but we could do that. And you think about it this way. When, when you put on a few pounds, you haven't been eating right, you recognize you need to do something, you go on a diet. And usually the, 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 the diet is maybe a little bit extreme because you want to lose that weight really fast. Uh, and, and the diet marketers, the diet product people, they know this. And so they, they market this to us. And so you have these really extreme diets. You want to lose 30 pounds in a month and take, go on the all celery diet or something, you know. Uh, and you might lose that much in a month, but you're going to feel bad too, aren't you? You're not going to get the nutrients that you need. You're not going to feel good. You're not going to get any protein. But if you go to a doctor and, and you say, well, I need to lose weight, they're going to say, well, you need first to just make sure you're healthy. You, you need to eat right, not for the sake of losing weight. You just need to eat right so you'll have the stuff that you need in your body. And that will lead to, if you eat healthy, being a healthy weight. That's the healthy way to do it. Likewise, the Bible doesn't present faith in Jesus as something you do to get to something else. It presents Jesus as the goal, and heaven is the result of that goal. Listen to how this is mentioned in John chapter 1. John chapter 1, just a few verses here, 5 through 7. Excuse me. Is that not the verse? Yeah, I'm sorry about that. That's a misprint. 14, 5 through 7. I had the mark in my Bible correctly, but it's misprinted in my notes. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. This offer from Jesus is, is presented right after the moment that Jesus predicts Peter's denial and then tells him that he is, is going to leave. And, and Thomas wants to know, well, where, where are you going and how do we get to where you are, are going? 
So if Peter is known as the guy that's always outspoken and is always putting his foot in his mouth, we know that Thomas is always the guy that, that is skeptical and not sure and, and, and has to question things. And I think in reality, it's not that these guys were so bad. It's, it's that these guys were, were actually bold enough to ask the questions that all the other disciples were thinking. And, and so the authors of Scripture have them asking these questions because, you know, they were not only on the other disciples' minds, they were on the first readers of the Gospels' minds. Well, how do we get to where Jesus is going? All these other people, we, we've never seen Jesus. We don't know Jesus. How, how do we get there? He's the mouthpiece for them. He's a mouthpiece for us when we get our focus on the wrong thing, when we focus on what we get instead of where we're supposed to start. He asked in verse 5, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How, how can we know the way? And, and I hear Emily's little question echoed in that when I first told her that my, my grandfather passed away and she was with Jesus. Well, well, how do we get there, Dad? Do we get in the car? We just drive, did he just drive to heaven? Well, let's go. You know, that was all she was concerned about. It didn't really start with Jesus. It was just how do, how do we get there? And so Jesus' response is this. Uh, it's, it's, it's a deeper and a more thoughtful response than, than we could have ever imagined. I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. In verse 6, no one comes to the Father except through me. And I used to hear that verse as, as Jesus saying, well, I'm the gate. You know, like, you, you have to get through me in order to go to heaven. And, and that's part of it. But, but if that's all it is, if that's all Jesus is saying, that's, <clears throat> that's a pretty small and kind of anemic view of Jesus, isn't it? If we just believe in Jesus to, to get to heaven, well, that's, that's not what he's saying. If you read the book of Psalms, you will hear these themes of the way and the truth and the life repeated over and over and over because these were the things that God's people thought, this is what connects us to God. And so the, the beginning, in, in the very first Psalm, you hear, you'll hear, do not walk in the way of the wicked. And then Psalm 25 will say, these are just examples, they're all over the Psalms. Psalm 25 will, will say, Lord, guide me in your truth. The Psalm 20, Psalm 23, the 23rd Psalm that, that we all know, it concludes saying, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Because these were all the things that people thought before Jesus. If I, if I do these things, if I walk in the right way, and I believe the right things and know the right truth, I'll get to God. And Jesus is saying, no, it's not believing the right things and walking the right way and, and, and understanding the right things. It's, it's I am these things. Knowing me is the same as knowing God. And yes, knowing me results in knowing the God of heaven and ultimately being in heaven. And so what does that mean? How, what does that, how does that affect us? I think, I think that should affect several things. One way it should affect, it should affect the way that we talk to children about Jesus. Jesus is someone you know because he said, let the little children come to me. We want to live like him. We want to have uh, the, the way that he said we need to be right now, not just so we can get to heaven. You ever, you ever been asked by a grown-up when you were doing something bad, is this where you want to be when Jesus comes back? Anyone ever ask you that? Says, well, how does that make you picture Jesus? Well, Jesus is kind of up there and he's disconnected from me and he doesn't really care you know, anything except as long as I stay in line. And, and that's not really a healthy view of God. That's not what Jesus is saying. I'm the way and the truth and the life. Follow me. It also should affect our relationships. Because if we just look at Jesus as this guy, as this thing to get us something else, I mean, that's Jesus. So how are we going to look at our spouses? Well, it's just this person I've got to get through life with, and maybe they'll give me a little bit of companionship. How are we going to look at our children? Were these these little peons I've got to raise and... 
well, gosh, maybe, maybe we'll have a little fun when I you know, teach them to play sports or something. There's just, it's just people to get you to something else. If we look at Jesus like that, what's to keep us from looking at other people and other things like that? If the offer of heaven starts with Jesus, then we follow Jesus. And that includes ending up to the place where he's at with his Father. And that's not an obligation, or it shouldn't be an obligation for Christians, because the offer of heaven, as we'll see also in the Gospel of John, is an offer of life. And the way Jesus says it's life to the full. I already gave you one 80s reference from my childhood. Here's another. Remember Super Mario Brothers? I was, uh, when Super Mario came out, it was September 13th, 1985. It was a couple days before my second birthday. So uh, I, remember, I remember that from my childhood, just the theme music. We used to joke that my brother danced around to the theme music in my mother's stomach because we just played it so much. And if you're not familiar with it, it's a little guy <clears throat> goes in this imaginary kingdom to rescue the princess and fight all the bad guys. And, and you, you fought the bad guys by stepping on their heads and, and, and killing them. And, and that was really the point of the game. And there was eight worlds. And uh, really, though, the point was not just to get to the end. The point was to utilize all the special things that came with being Mario. <clears throat> Remember, the mushroom would make him grow really big. And if you took the mushroom, you, you could break bricks. And so you wanted to be big so you could pound the bricks. And also you'd have more of it. You wouldn't die immediately if you got hit by a bad guy. Or if you got the flower, you could shoot fireballs. If you got the star, you would be invincible and you could just run into stuff and kill it. Now, theoretically, you could play Super Mario and get all the way to the end of it without doing any of that. You could be small, Mario. I don't know, it, I don't know if you could really do it, but I mean, theoretically, you could. But that's not really the point of the game. That's not why the people created They created it because they wanted you to do all that neat stuff. They wanted you to have the whole experience. And heaven is meant to be something that points us to life, not just at the end, but points us to life now, life to the full. Look at John chapter 10. This one's right, isn't it? Yeah, John chapter 10, beginning in verse 7. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And Jesus says these words not about a world like a fantasy world, like Mushroom Kingdom and Super Mario. He says it about the world right now. And in the world that his disciples lived, uh, it was a world that really was, was struggling to, to, to find its identity, especially the Jewish people who had been told from the very beginning, you know, God has good things in store for you. He wants to bring you to a land with flowing and milk and honey. But if you remember the Old Testament, they got there and, and things didn't work out quite right. They didn't get to stay there. They were exiled. And, and even when they came back from exile, things weren't very happy. Things never really got to the point that God said they were going to get to. And so when you get to Jesus' day, the Jews are really ruled over by the Romans, and, and the Romans dictated their lives. And I think maybe because of this, the religious people, the super-religious elite, got even more strict with their rules because they couldn't control everything. But one thing they could control was how well they followed the rules. You know, our, our ancestors in the, back, in the past were disobedient, so we're going to go to the opposite extreme, and we're going to follow all the rules to a T and even beyond that. And that didn't result in the life that God promised either any more 
than the disobedience did. And it's into this context that Jesus starts talking about another kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. So many of Jesus' teachings start out, the kingdom of heaven is like. And his point is that the kingdom of heaven is so very much different than, than this world. But it, but it is a kingdom that you really are a part of right now. That's the point of the parable. And he presents himself not only as the gate for entering into this kingdom, but more importantly, he presents this kingdom as the only way to experience life to the full as God intends. And he says in verse 10, the thief, he's talking about the religious establishment of his day. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they, God's people, you may have life and have it to the full. And that offer is supposed to begin now when you walk through, if you've walked through that gate of faith in Christ. You know, it's an indictment on the church that sometimes church can be one of the most lifeless places people experience. I have a friend that pastors in Kentucky. He's pastored there a little bit over a year. And one Sunday he baptized eight people. This was more people than the church had baptized in the past five years before he came. And the first word that was spoken to him after the service was, was a deacon griping at him because he didn't baptize in a rope and he didn't say the right thing when he baptized him. Eight people. I mean, my gosh. Most of us are not so overt in our lifelessness, are we? Not this church. We're not like that. But I, I do think where we tend to fall into that is that we come and we do our duty and we do our religious Things and we listen to the sermon and we do worship. And then sometimes that's the last time that we really think about God until the next Sunday. That's not just us, that's just our culture that we, that we live in. And we kind of pat ourselves on the back and we think, man, we, we did good because we went and did our, our Sunday church thing. And, and we really do that just so we can go to the Cowboys game or go to the restaurant or, or, or whatever it is and not feel too bad about it. And then we wonder why the next generation just eventually skips church altogether and they just go straight to the Cowboys game or, or straight to the restaurant because there wasn't, there wasn't any life in their religion. It didn't change anything in the day-to-day -day life. It was just something that people did, something people went to. The offer of heaven isn't something that you put on railway out here in the future to say, well, that's, that's when the good stuff starts. It's a fullness of life that you engage with now. And receiving this life, Jesus says, or, or, or having this life does require, on our part, a response. Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you've memorized the Roman, the Roman road, it's at the very end of it. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth you profess and are saved. While God is the one that initiates this response, God is the one that makes this response possible. It's still something that God expects us to do. And, and it's always been that way. God has always expected a response on behalf of His people. And in the Old Testament, these words are really echoing the words in Deuteronomy. When Moses gives the people the law, he says... You know, it's not very far, far from you. The, the word of the law is, is in your heart. It's, it's, you know it. 
It's possible for you to obey it. It's in your mouth, it's in your heart, it's near to you. And so Paul is paraphrasing that, but he's not, only, he's not applying it to something that we have to do. He's simply applying it to something that we have to believe and something that we have to confess and something that gives us life, faith in Christ. Now it's no longer about a law. It's about faith and it's about confession. And, and I think the way that we have to understand how this affects us, there, there's two things I think that we run on opposite extremes that we can kind of mess up when thinking about this. Number one, when we think about our response and becoming a Christian and getting saved, we can make it so much about us that we remove God from it. Have you ever heard an evangelist say something like, well, if you don't know the day and the time and and the minute that you were saved, then you need to think about that and and question your salvation and nail it down. What if you were six years old, five years old, like Michelle? You don't know the time and the day, and that's not really about God. That's uh, it's about you. And so as a result, we have people sometimes that get saved 20 times and baptized 20 times just to be sure. That's about them. That's not about God. And that's not the point. Or we can go to the opposite of that and say, well, you know, God knows everyone's heart. And, and if he's leading them to do that, they'll do it. And we don't evangelize. We don't share Christ. And when, when a person passes away, we'll say something like, well, God, they may have made a response. We don't really know. Well, we might have known if we would have ask them if we would have explained to them that this is something that they're supposed to do. Roger Olson, a professor of mine, I love the illustration he gives to talk about this. He says, he says receiving Christ, making that decision, it's not, he, he, he compares it to do different things to help us wrap our mind around it. He says, it's not, he says, imagine you're in a hole, a 30-foot hole and you can't get out. And it begins to fill up with water. And he said, a salvation is not like God reaching into that hole after you've drowned and you've died and pulling you out and setting you on the side and and doing CPR and resuscitating you and breathing life into your lungs and bringing you back to life without you doing anything. Some people view salvation that way. He said, that's not the way you view salvation. He said, salvation is, imagine as that hole is filling up with water, that God throws a life raft in there. And then God picks you up and he places you on that life raft. And it floats all the way up to the mouth of the hole. And, and, and all you have to do, there's just less than an inch, is to step out onto dry ground. Now, in relation to everything that God has done for you, that's not a very big step. That's not a very big response. It's just, it's just stepping over. But it is a response. And I think God commands this response not for His benefit, but for ours. When you think about, I know I've given this before, but I think about AA groups and they meet together and and they have this confession as they meet. My name is so-and-so and I'm an alcoholic. And they say that not because by saying that, that makes it any more true. Just like when I say Jesus is Lord, it makes it more true. But it helps them take ownership of it. When bad things happen to us, when tragedy happens, maybe you've had some bad things happen to you and, and you didn't really recognize the full force of it until you said it out loud. My spouse has divorced me. I have cancer. My child died. That helped you own it. That made it become real to you. In the case of salvation, the offer of heaven, it's that first initial response that we make that makes it real to us. And it enables us to keep making a response to God 
as we live out our lives. This morning, as we close, I want you to think about if you've made that response, I just want you to reflect back on that. Maybe you don't really remember it, and that's okay. But I want you to think about the implications of that. Remember what you can. Let that be a reminder to you of the response that you're enabled to make. Not have to make, but enabled to make every day for the Lord. And today, if you haven't made that response, if you haven't responded to God and you don't have the hope of heaven, and you're ready to do that, we'd love for you to do that today. We, we offer, offer an invitation in a moment, and you can come and receive Christ. But, but if you don't know how to do that, please, please talk to someone. Talk to me. Talk to a Sunday school teacher. Talk to someone that you know that can help you do that, whether it's right now or after our service. Let's pray together as we receive our invitation. Lord, we thank you for the offer of heaven. And God, for, for so much that it is supposed to be to us now and, and in the future, we celebrate. Lord, I pray that, that everyone here would know that that's the place that, that they're going to end up. Not because of something they did, but because of a response you've enabled them to make in Christ. God, we so often get our priorities messed up and we get focused on ourselves and we get focused on, on, on what we get as opposed to who you are. God, I pray that you would always be our starting place that leads us to the life in you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need to respond today, we invite you to do that. Uh, whether you're coming, as 